morning once again if you're a visitor or you're glad that you chose to uh, fellowship, worship with us. No, the part of Tim Smith is being played by Greg Shipley this morning. There won't be any laws involved so far as I know, but uh, I'd like to get right into the Word. So believe it or not, we're going to jump in Obadiah. Now, if you're a visitor, this is probably the first sermon you've ever heard on Obadiah. It's probably, could be the very last sermon you ever hear on Obadiah. So uh, we'll make it worth your while. Now, if you can't find Obadiah, I hope you have your Bibles. Oh, connection cards. Obadiah will be over there grabbing them, catching them on that side. Push, push them that away. I, I do hope you have a Bible because we're gonna, you're going to need that text. And uh, if you don't share with somebody, if you have a Bible and don't know where it is, uh, stick your hand in the middle of the uh, back part that says Psalms and work your way towards the front part, which is the New Testament. And you will find it in what it's called the section of the Minor Prophets. Uh, Amos, uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. So we'll find our text and make a start. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word. I pray, Lord, that this morning people will see you. See you, Jesus, they won't see me. They'll hear your words, not mine. Uh, they will be blessed and touched by the power of the Holy Spirit working this Word of God into their lives. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you as personal Savior, that lacks that relationship with you, God, through Jesus, through what Jesus has done, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, they would understand, the blindness would be removed from their minds, and they would see you for the first time and fall on their knees and trust in you as personal Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get right at Obadiah. So what does Obadiah mean? Did you find him yet? If all else fails, look in the index. Or bring up your PowerPoint kind of thingy, iPod, what's it that you got the text on, and you'll find Obadiah there somewhere. Obadiah, the name means servant of the Lord. Now, um, there's actually 12 different people. This is a quiz question. You'll be tested on this. There's 12 different people in, in the scripture named Obadiah, so it's kind of a little dif difficult to tell exactly who he is. Uh, he's probably an Israelite. He could actually be an Edomite who rebuking his own people. But we'll see that in a minute. A little bit more of background on him. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. They're called minor not because they go in the ground and dig coal or they're less important. They're simply shorter than the larger prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. So he's the shortest of the minor prophets and therefore the shortest book in the Old Testament. He's, one of, he's the earliest of the written prophets. I say written because we all know of prophets like Elijah, Elisha, Micaiah, who you don't know, maybe, who didn't write their prophecies down. But still a very important part of God's word. One chapter, uh, just a few verses, 21, and we'll get through them. Now, when did he write? Uh, when did he live? The date for him was around... They can put it pretty precisely about 845 B.C. Remember the Old Testament? You count backwards. It's easy for some of us, okay? You count backwards. So it's very, very early. Before Israel and Judah were taken off into captivity, before that whole period, under a king in a Judah named King Jehoram. And the reason he wrote, this would have been around the time that Israel was attacked by the Philistines and by some... Uh, tribes from the Arabian tribes that came up and Edom joined in the old fight. So what's the whole book about? Well, and you'll have some lessons from this that will apply, God willing, okay? The whole, the subject of this book is Edom. 
Edom and its downfall or its, or its destruction. So a little bit of, of background, we'll give you the skinny, probably not as skinny as you might want for some of you, but we'll give you the skinny on Edom. Now here's Edom. Oh, I got a, I got a thing jobby here. Ooh, technology. See, there's Edom. And this, this shows you modern-day modern Israel, the state of Israel, divided into the two halves of the southern kingdom, Judah, of uh, Judah and Benjamin, and then the ten northern tribes. Then these are the guys that are always uh, coming in and whacking each other once in a while. But Edom is here to the south, and you'll notice the capital city. You may have heard that uh, city mentioned before, Petra. More on that later. So that's Edom. Now, a little more background on Edom. They're descendants of Esau. Esau is the brother of Jacob, and would be the grandson of Abraham. Now, the rundown on these guys. Try to make it quick for you. Some of you are familiar with the story. Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that he would bring a nation up and make his descendants, you know, like the sands on the seaside. And out of that nation would come the anointed one, Hamashiach, the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ. And that anointed one would bring salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the entire world. How? By dying and providing a payment for all those sins, the things that we've done wrong, and providing forgiveness before God by what he's done. Okay? So that's Abram. Then there's Isaac, his son, and Isaac had two sons, Esau and, and uh, Jacob. Now, Esau was the eldest, so he should have inherited all the goodies, you know, the family farm, the tractor, and the Chevy pickup. But no, 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 he did not, because Jacob, his younger brother, cheated him out of him. I mean, his name actually means chiseler or supplanter. He cheated, he cheated Esau out of his birthright because he dressed up, he rolled in deer poop or something like that, so he'd smell like his brother, and he dressed up in furs, and he tricked his father. And because of that, he was blessed, and the, and the people of Israel rose through his tribe, Jacob, Joseph, and then the Messiah through that line. Now you say, well, that doesn't seem very fair, but there's an important factor here. Esau had willingly given up that birthright sometime before that. He thought so little of it, he sold it for a bowl of bean soup. He says, I don't really care about this. A bowl of bean soup, lentil soup, that was it. Now, he realized later the mistake he'd made, and yes, he did receive a blessing, but there's Jacob and Esau. So, Esau was pretty ticked off, as you can imagine. Jacob had to flee for his life. He was angry. Later on, there was a reconciliation. They forgave each other. But Esau went his own way, and the nation of Edom was formed from his descendants down there. Now, moving on. Time of Exodus. Remember? Under Joseph, Jacob, then Joseph, people of Israel went down into Egypt for 450 years in captivity. They were freed. Let my people go. You know, the whole Exodus thing and Charlton Heston and the tablets and the Red Sea. Okay? So they came over, and they're crossing... They go through Sinai for the years of wandering, and they want to cross into God's promised land, which again is right here, right here. And as you can see, there's Edom. Now, this is their, their, you know, their close relatives, as we'll talk about in a minute. So they said, let us pass through. Look, look, we won't turn to the right or the left, and if we eat something, we'll pay for it. If we drink your water, we'll pay for it. We'll do all those things. And the Edomites said, no way, you're not coming through here, uh-uh. They said, well, please, we're just going to pass through. And they said, no, we're going to come out. Don't make me, you know, don't make me get up out of this chair because I'm going to, you know, 
we're going to have a war over this. So the Israelites were forced to go around, as you well know, under uh, Moses and in Joshua and cross the, uh, the Jordan River. So, but what did God say about this? God told the Israelites, don't, well, okay, you know, because they're thinking, okay, I want to, you know, I want to tune these guys up, you know, smack them around. But he said, no, no, no. He says, don't despise them because they're your close relative. They're your brothers. So the Edomites, they're your, they're, your, they're your kin, they're your family. So don't despise them, you know, just, uh, just forget that and let, let it pass. Now, under David, years later, the Edomites, well, David conquered everything, as you well know, and he took that land in possession, and, and it became part of the uh, under control of Israel. Then later on, remember, the kingdom broke apart after David and Solomon and then Rehoboam and the sons. So under King Jehoram, the Edomites rebelled, and they set up their own king. And when the Philistines and others invaded, they said, well, let's jump on a bang wagon here and go in there and invade Jerusalem, and we'll take care of these dudes. So bottom line is the people of Edom hated Israel. Uh, there's a verse in Amos. It says this. It says, uh, the Lord says in chapter 1, he says, three transgressions of Edom, even four, I'm not going to revoke its punishment. I won't, I won't forget this. He pursued his brother with a sword while he stifled his compassion. This was his own brother, but he says, I'm going to ram this uh, love that I should have for him down in the bottom, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kill him. He, his anger tore continually, and he maintained his fury forever. So, Edomites hated Israel, and for, you know, for what it's worth, the feeling was mutual. So, let's go to the text. The text is in three chunks. And we'll, we'll, we'll cover the text. I'll read it and just make a few comments. I forgive you for my hoarseness. Some of you know that I'm still cleaning up after Sandy, and so I, I've discovered that if you burn trash and sticks all day, it's like a three-pack-a-day habit, so don't do it. <clears throat> I'm all loaded up with... So, the text. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. Notice all these things he says about living up. I got a, a point to this. He says, you know, you live in the clefts. There's the, the loftiness of your dwelling place. You're up there and you're, you're saying in your heart, who's going to bring me down? I build up high like an eagle, you know. I built my, I've set my nest amongst the stars. I'm way up here. And God says that's not going to help. You're going to be brought down. And the reason that has some significance is, remember this uh, area of Edom here, rocky and mountainous and particularly centered around the, the red rock city of Petra. Now, I've not had the privilege of going there, uh, but from what people have told me, it's really a fantastic place. I mean, it's built up in all these rugged, craggy rocks, and it's red, and it's got all these fabulous, some of them are, are uh, restored, you know, to, to somewhat their original condition, these fabulous temples, and uh, it's narrow passages Ancient historians, the Roman times, said that, you know, remember, this was the days before, before cruise missiles and drones and that sort of stuff. So they said, you know, swords and spears and knives. They said that a handful of men could defend this against an army because you just can't get through. And that's what the Edomites thought. 
we're, you know, we're great. No one's going to bring us down. You know, we can sit up here and we'll be safe and all those things. But the Lord says, you will be brought down, the Lord through Obadiah. He goes on and says, oh, we've got one more here. Everybody likes a little photo bomb, so I figured I'd, I'd stick him in there. So, <laughs> like somebody's relatives. I'm like, never mind. <laughs> um, he goes on and he says, if thieves came to you, if robbers came by night, oh, how you would be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some leanings? And the question, the answer to those two questions, well, yes, they would. Now, um, sometime after we moved to England, I forget, shortly or whatever, my wife Cheryl attended a, a women's conference, and there was a speaker there who was an evangelist and a, and a preacher, teacher, and he had been a thief. He had been a burglar, like Burglar Bill. If you're from Britain, you would know who that is. Uh, not so, it may have changed. Violent crime, not so much. But in England, uh, in Great Britain where we lived, uh, burglary and it was quite common. People broke into homes. And he made the comment that when he was a burglar, he'd break into a house and he'd find a stash. You know, he'd go up in the man's underwear drawer and find his cigar box with money. Or he'd go in the, the biscuit jar. It's not a cookie jar, the biscuit jar. And find, you know, in the kitchen, find the money. He'd find the loot, the dosh, the reddies, the bugs bunny. And he, would, uh, he wouldn't take it all. He'd only take part of it. Because what would happen is, is the husband would blame the wife and said, who's been in me smalls and took me dosh? You know? And, and uh, the wife could kind of blame the husband, that sort of thing. And that allowed him the opportunity to go back several months later and break into the place again and steal some more money. So these, yes, they would leave something. Uh, the grape gatherers would leave a, a little bit of uh, gleanings after their harvest. Obadiah's point, the Lord's point through Obadiah is, he says, that's not going to happen to you. The Lord is really going to clean house. Esau will be ransacked. His hidden treasures will be searched out. Importantly, and this happens, honor among thieves, verse 7, all the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him or in Esau. That's quite common. Guys make, you know, packs. You've watched all the Godfather films and all that sort of thing, and they honor among thieves, but they'll turn their back on you. They're going you know, to shred you like cheese on a pizza when the time comes. There's no honor. They won't, uh, they won't uh, the men who are allied or in covenant with you, the, the, the verse says here, they're going to deceive you. The ones that eat bread will, as the psalm says, lift their heel up against you. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and any understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Timon, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. This comment about Timon is that um, uh, that was a grandson of Esau, the cousins of Israel, and he was known for his wisdom. Not sure where the town was, probably south of Petra somewhere. But uh, if you remember uh, Cam's sermon on Habakkuk, uh, there was a verse there that said, God comes from Teman. He said, all that wisdom that's there, that's going to be gone. That's going to be annihilated. So that's the first chunk. Here's the second chunk. The reason why. Why is this going to happen? Because of what they've done to their brother Jacob. Read this verse. Uh, five verses, starting with verse 10. Because of the violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were one of them. 
you stood by, at the very least, you stood by and let this happen and you watched this go on, this desecration, this invasion, this you know, looting and pillaging and so forth. Or you actually participated in it. So well, everybody else is getting a television out of the Walmart, so I might as well get a stereo too. So I'm going to go in there and do this. God says through Obadiah, don't gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in their day of destruction. Yes, do not boast. Do not make your mouth large, which is what, like, kind of a real good description of what boasting's all about, making your mouth large. Don't enter into the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. He's saying you've been doing all this and taking away everything that's theirs, everything that's important, everything that's valuable. And don't stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. Don't imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. Again, back to the whole setting, uh, the mountainless and the train and the roads and so forth. It isn't like, oh, I can't get through a new town because market day's on, so I'm going to take the bypass. There's only one way out of Dodge, and you have to go through here. And they would stand at the crossroads, at the fork in the roads, and just cut people down. And he said, that's what you're doing to the people of Israel. Judgment will come, which is the third, third chunk here, uh, this day of the Lord, starting in verse 15. For on the day, the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow. They will drink and stagger, almost like, like a drunken man at what's happening, and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. This is the people of Israel, and the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be a stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so there will be no survivors. For the Lord has spoken. Then he closes the book. He says, those of the Negev, or the south, will possess the mountains of Esau, and those of the Shephelah, or the uh, foothills, the Philistine plain. They will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead, and the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and among the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Zepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev to deliver. The deliverers will ascend to the mountain of Zion and to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Okay, that's a big chunk to take. Your question would be, okay, well, then what happened to Edom? Well, we'll talk about this pro uh, multiple prophecy in a minute. But in history, Edom was destroyed. Remember, Israel was taken off first by the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians took away Judah. During that whole captivity period, Edom was drawn off too. They were all taken captive and slave and, and moved out. So they sort of disappeared. Around 120 B.C., that, again, that's 120 years roughly before Jesus came on this earth, the period of the Maccabees, John Hartanus, who was the famous, he conquered that area and put it under Israel, Israeli rule. That was the golden period of Israeli or Israel's independence, Jewish independence. That's the period that Hanukkah, or Hanukkah was born, right? Did I say that right? Uh, the, the Festival of Lights. And it's a, it's a wonderful period in, in, Brit, in, in Jewish history, and so you got to study that and know that, and at any rate, that's when all that happened. So Eden more or less disappeared, and by a hundred years after the time of Christ, the early church, it was, it was totally gone, gone to history. Now, this area will reappear in significance in the, in the 
in the end times, though. That's why, let me see if I get this thing going. The judgment of Edom. Well, it did take place already, but then you hear this mention of the day of the Lord. Well, it could be just general, this is the day of the Lord, this is the, the Lord's day coming, and he's going to judge you. But it could be that this has some meaning for our end times. And we won't get into a big discussion of prophecy right now. But just to give you a little, few little hints how prophecy can work, sometimes there's these, like multiple fulfillments. You see this particularly with the life of Christ. And so what you do is you get this little guy up here. Is he up there? Yeah, there he is. And that could be the prophet. That could be uh, us reading the prophet uh, as he you know, was written on that day or, or as he's speaking. And you'll see there's these peaks. Now, <clears throat> if this guy was standing, there he is. If he was standing uh, somewhere in the Colorado Rockies or Air Tooth Pass up there in Montana, Wyoming, or the Grand Canyon or whatever, sometimes you look out and you see these mountains right? Well, those mountains could be several hundred miles apart with valleys in between. And this is the way prophecy can work. When he looks, we look, we only see these peaks, and it all looks like run together. But it could be, you know, with the Doom of Eden, for instance, here's, God's talking about it here, under the time when it happened, and it could be the end times or sometime in between. So, Edom will be judged again because this is the period of the end times after we're taken away and the Lord will, you know, the, the tribulation will happen, uh, that Edom will be crushed. So just uh, think about that as you look at your scripture. Now, some lessons to take home, lessons to think about. You say, well, what, how does this apply to me, uh, this uh, nearly 3,000-year-old prophet who's writing? Well, I have a couple of things I'd like you to think about, if you would. No one's safe from the deadly trap of arrogance. What was Edom thinking? Ah, we're up here, and we're up, in, we're up among the stones, and we're up here. You know, we'll be safe. No one can get us. All we have to do is roll, roll a boulder on him and crush him, and we're safe. God says, you're not safe from my judgment. You're not safe from what's going to happen to you. And I guess the lesson I'd have you take home for today, we believers, we believe in Jesus. We, members of the family of God, we're not immune to this arrogance. We're not immune to this attitude of, well, we really don't, you know, nothing's going to shake us, nothing's going to touch us. If you look at Scripture, you look at the very last, the revelation of Jesus to John, that's its title, the very last book, you see in the uh, second and third chapters, you see he mentions seven churches, and he describes them, and he says, here's what I, here's what I like about you. And here's what I have against you. You get to the very last church, the church of Laodicea, the one that's famously mentioned as lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, so I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And he says this. He says, here's what you've said. You said, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Sometimes we Christians fall into that trap. Usually it's only when if we, you know, like something desperate happens in our life. And uh, we go to God, oh, I've got a disease, or I have a problem in my financial situation, oh, I have a problem in my marital relationship, I, whatever, you name the problem. I'm not here to, you know, I'm not throwing darts. And then we, we sort of grab the word of God and the Bible, and we go to him, we, we plead before God. But the rest of the time, we, we get really arrogant. We say, you know, I don't really, uh, it's not that you're against praying for it, but you don't even think about praying. You don't even practice, think about practicing God's presence daily and continually. That, that he's there and he wants to be talked to, he wants to be prayed to, and he will answer those prayers. And I think 
we in our context of, you know, our upper middle class suburbanite life, it's really easy to, to be fall into that trap. Maybe we're not aware of it, but we fall into that trap of kind of not needing God, not referring to God, because we have everything. I mean, we're not, you know, the sheriff's not throwing us out of our house, and we're not, bombs aren't blowing up on either side of us, or any crisis going on like that. Beware of that trap of arrogance. That's what got Edom. And they, we're not immune to it. Of course, what did get Edom, too, was their attitude towards God himself. God will bring, he'll bring justice through his judgment. Uh, there will come a time. There will come a time when he'll make things right. And he'll clean house. Uh, sometimes he uses ungodly folks to clean out the ungodly house. Uh, the, the Babylonians took over the Assyrians and crushed them. And then the Medes and Persians came in and they took over the Babylonians and crushed them. And Daniel, the man who was present for all that, said, God, Daniel chapter 2, he is the one who sets up kings and puts them down. He will do that. God will make things right. And Obadiah was saying to Edom, you've, you've savagely attacked your brothers. We'll get to that in a minute. And God will make that right. God's not going to let this pass. He's going to clean house. Now, the thorny issue is when God sometimes uses what we see as ungodly folks to judge the, quote, godly. And I believe Cam handled that quite well when he came and spoke on Habakkuk. And that gives us pause. That gives us concern. Just remember, number one, none of us is truly innocent. That's why Jesus came. If you're here today, you need to realize it's not through your own good works. It's not through your attendance at church or your tithing or this or that. It's not through anything you've done. It's not through your bloodline because you're born into a certain racial group. It's through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that you're made right before God, with God, through Jesus' sacrifice. So, we're, none of us are totally innocent. And, and the second thing is, as has already been mentioned, um, we don't know the mind of God and the will of God. We don't know why God does this. But we do know that he's good and that everything will be right in the end. <laughs> I'm tempted to quote a movie where the, where the fellow said, it will all be right in the end, and it's not all right, so it's not the end. And it's true. <laughs> if you know the movie, <laughs> you can ask me afterwards. I will tell you what it is. Just use a South Indian accent, and I think you'll catch it. And the last lesson, the tragedy of broken brotherhood. Now, back to who Edom was. Who's Edom? The descendants of Esau. Jacob and Esau, the brothers. Okay? And their descendants. And the hatred that took place between them. So, forget about the so-called brotherhood of mankind, you know, of humanhood, or whatever politically correct term you want to use. Because people have been killing each other for thousands of years, as you well know. Man against man, nation against nation, some of them quite closely related. You know, the folks in Northern Ireland of the same group, the same basic religion, the folks in the, the, uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis, and the, in the, the folks in Myanmar, Burma, the Karen people against, uh, I just forgot the other group. Everyone against each other. Forget that, because sin reigns in the dealings of, of mankind, okay? 
But when you think about the work of God, here's God, Abraham saying, I'm going to make a na- uh, God to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and it's not just so, you know, you have the best parking place when it comes to the country club. It is so I can send and will send the Messiah through this nation that mankind, people will be saved, not just the Jews, but the entire world. And so that's why he was doing this. So you go down, you get down to Esau and Jacob. Now, for some reason, Jacob was the chosen line. Remember Esau's part in this. He willingly gave it up. Because, but after that, the hatred and the enmity between these people that are actually close, close brothers. Now, Edom did have a blessing. Uh, Esau was blessed by Isaac, his father. He did have his place, similar to what happened with Abraham, with uh, Isaac and Ishmael. The choice to obey God and his will and what he said in his word was up to him. That didn't let him off the hook. The circumstance that he was put in, it didn't let him off the hook towards obeying God and knowing that God loved him and God had a purpose and place for him. Now, what's our lesson today? I guess I would say, add this. The brokenness in the body of Christ the, quote, church, body of believers, people who have trusted in Jesus as personal Savior, that this broken brotherhood sometimes is rampant and devastating. Are you a Protestant or a Catholic? Protestant. Me too. (laughs) Are you a Baptist or a Presbyterian? Baptist. Me too. Oh, great. Are you a particular Baptist or a general Baptist? I'm a particular Baptist. Oh, me too. I'm a particular Baptist. (laughs) You know, are you a particular Baptist... uh, of the Convention of 1918 or the Convention of 1967. I'm a particular Baptist of the Convention of 1967. Die, you scum, you vile ungodly. And how often that's that way in the body of Christ. Now, okay, now there are certain differences that we draw a line and we stand and say this is important. But those differences are indicated by God's word. And they're usually pretty clear. They're usually pretty clear the things that we kind of put the line down here and say, this is where we need to stand and and say in love that this is accepted, this is not, or we part ways, or or whatever. Most of the time, it is personality and, and hatred and enmity and jealousy and envy. He's got more than I, he's got bigger than I, he's got whatever. Why do we let this destroy the brotherhood that we have as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? In Jesus. So my challenge to, to you today is this. Well, first, if you don't know him, it's, all this is kind of, you know, got to see a picture of a camel. You can remember that part. But you, you think, how does it apply? It doesn't apply to because to be right with God means to know Jesus as personal Savior. And when you do that, you are born into the family of God. You are a brother and a sister with every single person on earth who knows Jesus. You are a brother or sister with that person who's suffering in northern Nigeria because they're being persecuted. Or the bomb, the bomb that went off, and they're suffering in Pakistan because they were in that church and they lost an arm. You're suffering with that person who's maybe about to lose their crop in Texas or someplace in Oklahoma because there's, there's drought. You're suffering with that person that's just been diagnosed with a, with a very serious disease. And you're rejoicing with others. As, as things happen where the Lord works in their life. 
That's your brother, that's your sister. That's not somebody that, oh, I'm competing with, or I'm jealous of, or I'm envious of. But often we let that, we let that spirit get into us of this broken brotherhood. Let's not, let's not be that. Let's not do that. And let's think of that this very week. So my challenge for believers is that. My challenge for you guys, perhaps you don't know him, simple decision. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. Realize that God sent Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross for you, to pay for everything you've done wrong, to give you this relationship with him. And if you're confused about that or need to know more about that, come see me afterwards. Come talk to someone here at church. Our time's mostly gone. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for giving us your scripture. Sometimes it's uh, some pretty obscure places, and sometimes it's pretty well-known sections. Every part of it has been God-breathed, inspired, and given to us. It's profitable for our teaching, for rebuke, for correcting our own lives, for training us, for instructing us in righteousness. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that the word is living and it's powerful, and it uh, is sharper than any sword we can imagine. It cuts right to our heart. And and it's a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our very heart, our very being. Lord, we pray that you would pierce through those that don't maybe have some shell up or some kind of barrier up concerning the forgiveness that you've offered in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you, you sent your only son, that he would die on the cross, that we would be right with you forever through him. I pray that anyone today would make that... They'd make that decision today. They wouldn't d- delay any longer. And they would do that and become our sister or our brother in, in the body of Christ, in the body of Jesus. And we pray for uh, we believers, especially for this last point, Lord, that you would help us to restore often a broken brotherhood that we have uh, with our fellow believers. And help us, Lord, as we close, to be waiting for that day of the Lord kind of reflected early in this passage, but looking for that time when you'll come to take us home to be with you and you'll make things all right on this world, uh, on this earth, in this world, and you will, you will clean and you will show yourself to be a holy and true God to the entire world that every knee shall bow and every tongue would confess to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we do pray these things in Jesus' name as you dismiss us. Amen.